You may be seated. Once again, good morning, everyone. Before we begin, I wanted to submit, dismiss uh, kids 5 and 10 if it serves you, it serves your parents. Uh, we have credential kids. So you go with Miss Erica right over there. If you so choose. And then, Erica, you're going, you guys going right behind again? Jocelyn, Erica, go right back there. Okay, great. Thank you. Ephesians 3, uh, verses 14 to 19 is one long, run-on sentence. <laughs> like, you see it in the English. It, it looks bad in the English. It looks even worse in the Greek. <laughs> it's like, give me a period, Paul. You gotta stop here. Work with me. And it's really difficult to translate. Uh, if you don't know this, I don't expect you to know this, but I, before I prepare each sermon, I actually look at the original language, translate it out of the original language into English. I just look at doozy. And so, because it's a doozy, I actually took this passage to my community group on Wednesday, and uh, you guys were vastly helpful, <laughs> uh, better than reading my commentary. Shout out to you as we wrestled with this particular passage. And despite the difficulties, it's clear that the passage is about love, right? That, that, that much is clear. Not so much about uh, the idea that God is love, but that is a worthy sermon to preach. Not so much about what it means for you to love others. Again, another worthy sermon to preach when you think of the great commandment. God and love your neighbor. But today we'll see what it means for the love of God to be in your life, to be a part of you, your very being, your essence. What makes you, you? What makes you tick? What makes you get up in the morning? What makes you go to bed at night? When you realize the depths of God's love for you, which is what we see in this passage, spiritual power accompanies your life. What we're going to see this morning. So I'm going to briefly pray, ask for God's help, and then we'll look at this amazing passage. Oh God, we thank you first for today, for this day, where we get to worship you in this park and under this pavilion. And as we look at Ephesians, this is our ongoing act of worship. As we look at your word, would you, by the power of the Spirit, instruct our mind, instruct our heart, conform our lives into the image of our Savior, Jesus. We know right away that this is about your love for us, and we want to drink more deeply from your words so that we can comprehend the depth, the width, the height, the length of, of your love. So we need your help this morning. Pray this all in Christ's name. Now, I would think all Christians desire to be more spiritual or to have more spiritual power. Even in your in your Bible, it may say as a heading that's applied that this is about a prayer of spiritual strength and spiritual power, something to that effect. But throughout one's life, there are times when your spiritual cup is full, right? Everything's going great. You're living in complete faith. And there are times when you feel like you're Walking through the valley of the shadow of death, you know, Psalm 23. Your spiritual cup has like a few drops of water. You are parched. You're thirsty. You're crying out to God for spiritual strength. Like in these moments, what you would not give up to 
to sense the presence of the Lord. I, I mean, I've had these moments in my life where you just like, God, where are you? I feel so weak and powerless. I have no strength. And I'm sure you've had those moments as well. I mean, if I'm being honest with myself, life is full of like ups and downs, ebbs and flows, battles, different kinds of battles that you are faced with day to day, week to week, month to month, year over year. And your spiritual life is no different. If you are right now, or have ever been in a place of like spiritual apathy, Ephesians 3, verses 14 and 19 helps you to see the way out of spiritual apathy. So maybe you're there right now. He was like, oh, man, I've read my Bible weeks, and my prayer life stinks, whatever. Like, this particular text can help you out of spiritual apathy and into greater strength and power that is found in God's love. When you are in a place where you're spiritually weak, the gut reaction, is my gut reaction, is to do something. Right? When you feel distant, you read your Bible. You just kind of like push yourself to read your Bible. You pray. You make sure you go to church. Now, reading your Bible, praying, and going to church are spiritual disciplines that, as we know, Christians are to pursue and embrace and enjoy and love. They are a means of God's grace to our lives. So we do these things, yes. Even this passage this morning, we see Paul exercising the spiritual discipline of prayer. I mean, even though the Greek word prayer doesn't show up in this particular passage, we know with our eyes and through some common sense that's what Paul's doing. He's praying to God for the Ephesian church. You know, in the first couple of chapters, he was a theology teacher. Now he's pivoting to like this, this, this pastor whose heart is just full of gratitude and love for, this, for these people. We see that Paul's prayer to God for the Ephesian church is that they would be spiritually strengthened. But I want you to notice that in this prayer, the path towards spiritual power is through the love of Christ. It's through the love of Christ. Perhaps a mental picture will help explain the dynamic between spiritual strength and the love of God here. Picture a house full of opportunities for you to go spirit, grow spiritually. It's a house full of power. You, you know, you got your favorite Christian podcast over there. You, you, could, you got this great devotional study in this other room. You, you got this Bible study with your best friends in this room. You got this, you got your favorite preacher in that room. It's just like it's just full of a place where you can just grow spiritually. Well, the way to access spiritual power is through that front door. The same is with God's love. God's love is like the front door, the access point. For strength and power is his love. When we turn the page to Ephesians 4, we will read a lot about the particularities and the, and the practice of the Christian faith. But before you can do, you must be. Before you can do, that sounds very Yoda-like, right? Before you can do, you must be. Before you can have spiritual power and strength and put into action spiritual power and strength. You must be grounded in the love of Christ. So here's a, here's a summary of this passage, and then I'll lay out the path forward to spiritual strength. The, the summary is very simple. It is through the love of Christ that you are spiritually strengthened. It's that simple. It is through the love of Christ 
that you are spiritually strengthened. So do you want your Bible reading to come alive, to be enhanced? Do you want, um, do you have a desire for like a powerful prayer life? Do you want to develop an expectation that every time you come to church, you're going to meet with God? The answer is yes. And then you need to comprehend, grasp, and understand the love of Christ in your life. Don't think about the person next to you. In your life. With the love of Christ, there is abundant power. Without the love of Christ, you are a dead car battery. No power, no energy. Now let's kind of unearth our text and see what God says to us this morning. I will spend most of my time looking at verses 17, 18, and 19. So if you got your Bibles, you can stick right there in Ephesians 3, looking at that particular passage. You won't deviate too far from there. But Paul sets up his prayer of, of love for the Ephesian church by mentioning his posture before God. You know, we would do well to mimic and adopt the posture of Paul. How is your attitude when you approach God in prayer? Well, we read in verses 14 and 15, put what we should be like when we come to God. It says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. He's like, I'm going to pray for the Ephesian church, so what, I'm going to kneel. And then in verse 15, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. When Paul says, for this reason, he's referencing a prior thought, right? Like, for this reason, so we get a lot of thoughts back there. He says, for this reason, the basis in which Paul can approach God on behalf of the Ephesian church is found in the preceding verses. Because Paul is in Christ, he can approach God, what do you read in verse 12? With boldness and with confidence. There's a lesson for us here. If you are in Christ, like Paul, you approach God in prayer with boldness and confidence. You do not approach God in prayer based upon anything you have done. No, 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 no. Not based on anything you have done. But you approach God with boldness and confidence because of what Christ has done for you. So Paul knows the love of God in his own life. He knows what Christ has done for him. So he is able to approach God with boldness and confidence. And because of what Christ has done for you, you approach God with humility, which is why Paul also says he bends or bows before the Father. Shrink my head. How, how just that thought alone would transform a prayer life. Bending before the Father, kneeling, coming to Him with humility, yet with boldness and confidence. Man, what a fantastic example for our prayer life. When you intercede for a friend, pray for this church, you pray for your family, you must have a posture of boldness and humility. With Paul's posture in view, now it's for the content of his prayer. Paul prays that the Ephesian church will know the love of Christ. God wants you, Redemptional Church, to know the depth of God's love for you through Christ. So what I'm going to do real quick is define love. This is one of the recommendations. I think it was Joe who gave it to me on Wednesday. Hey, can you help define love for me? And I'm like, wow, that's like a whole book. But I'm going to try to do that just in relationship to this particular passage. And then I'm going to ask Three questions that I want us to answer from this passage. Here, here are the questions, and then I'll define love, and we'll take up the questions one at a time. Question number one, if you're a note taker, is my gift to you this morning. 
Number one, how is a person able to know the love of Christ? We've got to solve that before you can really understand the depth of the love of Christ. How do we even come to know the love of Christ? Number two, what is the nature or essence of the love of Christ? Number three, what are the consequences, positive consequences, of knowing the love of Christ? So a how question, how is a person able to know the love of Christ? What is the nature or essence of the love of Christ? And number three, what are the consequences of knowing the love of Christ? So let's define love first, and then we'll try to get to these questions. Defining the love of Christ is tricky because God's attributes or characteristics are connected to God's love. For example, God's love is connected to his grace. God's love is connected to his mercy. God's love is connected to his justice. God's love must be read within the rest of what Scripture teaches about his divine attributes. So, any definition of the love of God is going to have its barriers. You're always going to leave something out. Nevertheless, I'm going to provide a working definition that directly corresponds with this passage, because it is about the love of God, and more specifically, the love of Christ. So here's my definition. God is love. 1 John 4.16. God is love. And God's love is perfect pure. God's love is perfect and pure. The love of God, going on here, the love of God is most clearly displayed through the life, death, and resurrection of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. One more sentence. The self-sacrificial love of Christ that was on display at the cross now operates in the life of his disciples through the work of the Holy Spirit. So we get this whole idea, we start with the God is love, and then we say, God's love is perfect and pure. And God, this perfect and pure love is most clearly displayed the life, death, and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we, and we see more clearly through the sacrificial death of Jesus, this love on display. And so we too now are supposed to go and receive this love and be a witness to the world about this love. Now, I packed a lot, of, a lot into that definition we all know more can be said, but let's test this definition against our passage. Let's pick up our three questions. Number one, how is a person able to know the love of Christ? Take a look at verse 16 and 17. It says this, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened through the power, through the spirit, in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. How? How does Christ dwell in your hearts? Through faith. How does the love of Christ dwell in your hearts? It is through faith. The Holy Spirit reveals the love of Christ to the heart through faith. When the Spirit gave you, Christian, the gift of faith, the love of Christ was shot through every part of your heart, which impacts every aspect of your life. Here's a silly picture of God's love in your life. Really silly, so I apologize. Kids would be. God's love is like litter. Yeah. Some of you probably already know where I'm going with this. God's love is like litter. How in the world is God's love like litter? In case you are not getting there yet already. When you have litter, it gets into everything. Everything. It's in your hair. It's in your clothes. It's in your food. Like, you clean it up, and like, months later, you've got like glitter in your eyebrow. You're just like, what? I, I thought I got rid of all the glitter. Like, we banged glitter at the Powers House, but somehow it makes its way in. Because it gets into everything. 
It's into everything. What is not forbidden at the Potter's house is the love of Christ. And I want the love of Christ to get into everything. Everything. The love of Christ impacting every part of your life is indicated in two ways, at least two ways, in verse 16 and 17. In verse 16, we read about the inner being. Yeah, the ESV, that's how it's translated. Inner being. The literal way to translate inner being is actually inner man. The Greek word used for man is anthropos, which is where we get the English term anthropology. Anthropology is the study of man. What is indicated by using anthropos, because there were other options that Paul had that he could have used to say being or man. What, what I think is being indicated is that the love of Christ is like all-encompassing. It's all-encompassing. The love of Christ affects everything about your inner being. It's the glitter getting into everything. The second way uh, the love of Christ impacts your life is through your heart. Verse 17. Christ dwells or settles in your heart. Faith is the key unlocking the door to your heart. But when the door is open, Jesus busts through. And his love takes residence in the very place that makes you tick. Remember, these verses seem to be a prayer Paul has for the Ephesian church. And so if you think God is distant this morning, or you feel spiritually dry, God wants to remind you this morning that he is so near that his love has taken residence in the very part of your life that makes you go. Your heart. But now it's up to you to reaffirm this truth and then pray to God for spiritual strength and, and personal spiritual revival. Pause. Ponder that for a moment. He is near. How near? So their text dwells within us. We sang earlier, Abide with me. Abide with me. I love that song. God is abiding with you this morning, Christian. Regardless of how close or near you feel God is, He is abiding. In our text, I, I think this is a brilliant linguistic move by Paul to use words anthropos, man, and cardia, heart, to, to locate the love of Christ. When God says, like, you are mine, and you can know God's love through faith, like, we know a complete transformation has taken place, and it's through the love of Christ in which, like, ongoing transformation takes place. Now, can everyone know the love of Christ? Well, there is a general love God has for all that he created, right? God continues to sustain every human being by the air we breathe, right? You got people in the park playing disc golf. Whether Christian or not, I don't know, but God is sustaining everyone here right now, you and me, everyone playing disc golf by the air we breathe. God sustains the axis point of the earth at 23.44 degrees, one degree shift either way, throws the entire earth into whack, including our lives in this sense. Christians and non-Christians are recipients of God's love, but Ephesians 3 is not talking about God's general love. The love of God in Ephesians 3 is specific, it is intimate, it's about the love of Christ at work in your life. So, how is a person able to know the love of Christ? Answer, it is through faith. 
And when God breaks in through faith, we know a love that this world cannot offer. Now, on to the second point. On to the second question. What is the nature or essence of the love of Christ? Admittedly, we do not have a full answer to this question from our passage. The answer is assumed. But it's made explicit in other parts of Ephesians and throughout all of Holy Scripture. You're getting to an answer about the nature or love of Christ is understood through what Christ has done. It's back to the definition that I gave to you earlier. Many of you know this is one of my favorite passages about the love of God. It's found in the Gospel of John. In addition to the particular passage that Ryan um, shared earlier from 1 John, Jesus says, this is my commandment in the Gospel of John. What's the commandment? That you love one another as I have loved you. So, not a suggestion. Not a good idea. Not just a good idea. It's a commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. So do you hear what Jesus is saying? The way he loves you, you are now called to love others in the same way. How are you to love others? Well, here's the next verse. Greater love has known than this, that, that one laid down his life for his friends. That's love. Think about that. Especially when I hit myself in the head. Think about that. That's how we're supposed to love. Laying down your life for your friends. As we begin to ponder the essence of the love of Christ, we start with the sacrifice of Jesus. Christian, Jesus loved you so much that he died on a cross to forgive you of sin and so that you can be reconciled to the Father. Picture in your head what your life would look like if you emulate this kind of love. How does the self-sacrificial love of Christ dwelling in your heart affect your marriage? How does it transform your parenting? How does it affect your attitude to, to those you disagree with on the things of the day, like politics and COVID and all the things, vaccines, whatever else? If the love of Christ is genuinely impacting every part of your inner being, then it's going to impact your everyday life. Think of it this way. If God is love, and the love of Christ dwells within you, then what does that make you? At the very least, you are an ambassador or steward of God's love to a world that, is, as we know, is full of brokenness and pain and suffering. And what do you have to offer? Well, let's begin with what is residing in you right now. Holy love. You are an ambassador to a world that does not know pure and eternal love. Now let's move on to question three. It's going to be the longest. What are the positive consequences of knowing the love of Christ? It is the answer to this question that receives the greatest attention from Ephesians 3. Here's how the Christian Standard Bible reads the tail end of verse 17 and verse 19. They, they actually supply the word pray. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, be able to comprehend with all the saints, what is the length, what is the width, height, and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. In these verses, we read about the condition of your faith. We read about what it means to have the love of Christ dwelling within you. Notice that the prayer is for you to be rooted and grounded in love. 
rooted and grounded are metaphors that Paul is using to help us understand the love of Christ that is residing within you right now. The first metaphor is agricultural. The second metaphor is architectural. So let's take them one at a time. I always think a lot about our, um, agriculture, right? In some respects, it's, it's a significant part of our economy and produces numerous jobs. And I'm guessing, I'm fairly certain, farmers understand what it means for something to be rooted. When corn or soy takes root in good soil, they are sustained by the roots. Like right now, we got corn growing right outside our house. That corn is being sustained by its roots. Perhaps a more vivid picture of being rooted are redwood trees. Redwood trees are massive. Even though their roots are shallow, often only five or six feet deep, they have the potential, these roots have the potential to span 100 feet away from the tree trunk. And they can live up to 2,000 years. There are some redwood trees that were potentially around during the time of Christ. Because of the nature of the roots, Redwood trees have tremendous strength against the forces of nature. And it's that kind of love, the love of Christ, that is rooted within you, Christian. Now consider the architectural metaphor. The word grounded can also be translated as like established. It's the idea that something foundational is being laid not near our home, another home is being built. After digging out a giant hole in the ground, a concrete foundation was laid. It's from the concrete foundation which the rest of the house is built. You're not going to build that house without that concrete foundation. In Ephesians 3, Paul states believers are firmly rooted and grounded in love. This root and foundation of love refers to God. We're going to go back to Ephesians 1 just for one moment. Just hear me out. It refers to God having chosen his people predestined them, blessed them in the beloved, redeemed them, adopted them, made them a heritage, sealed them with the Holy Spirit, made them alive, raised them up, and seated in the heavenlies, and placed them equally in one new person in the body of Christ. Therefore, for the believer, the Christian, the origin, basis, roots, foundation of this love is God's love and everything he has done. Here's another positive result from knowing the love of Christ. The love of Christ fills you with the fullness of God, verse 19. Because you have the fullness of Christ, you are complete, whole. It means you've been satisfied by Christ. For a moment, consider the spiritual journey you've, you've been on throughout life. God created you in his image, right? He created you in his image. God did not need to create, but he did. And you were one of the crown jewels of his creation. But we all know the problem. The problem is called sin. Sin separated you from God. There was a time when you were not full, but you were are, you are completely empty. You had no hope. You tried to find fulfillment in the world, but you were always left wanting more. But at some point along the way, Christian, God's electing love established faith in your heart for you to see the gospel. The moment you were given the faith to believe the gospel, you understood the pure and lasting love of Christ. Your heart was filled with the fullness of God. And, and you, you know, Christian, you cannot find that kind of love. You cannot be filled in any other way than knowing Christ. 
You tried. I've tried. Emails are shallow. It's saved. Colossians 2, 9 and 10 really emphasize this point. For in him, in Jesus, the, the whole, Paul uses two words to help describe this, the whole, and he says fullness, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. You have been filled in Christ. He's the head of all rule and authority. When your spiritual cup is running dry, you can remember God has got you. He's got you. You've been filled with the love of Christ. Sometimes when our spiritual cup is running dry, it's good to gain a different perspective. You may think God is distant, but according to Ephesians 3, God is right there with you. He's right there. Don't lie to yourself. He is right there. When the fullness of Christ's love is in you, it does not leak. It does not evaporate. It does not absorb into some other substance. No. The love of Christ sustains you in such moments. It's the love of Christ that reminds you he is there. It's the love of Christ that waters the parched lips. It is the love of Christ that keeps you until the end. So, Christians, you are rooted and grounded and filled with the love of Christ. I, I hope the reality of God's love just like hits you like a wrecking ball. I take that, wouldn't you? I hope you understand and feel. Yeah, feel too. Hope you understand and feel God gave us emotions and feelings. The full weight of God's love for you. We also read that God's love surpasses knowledge. I really enjoyed thinking through this. I think verse 19 is fantastic. In verse 19, Paul uses the same Greek root word for to know and knowledge. So if you're reading the ESV, it says to know and then knowledge. Same, same Greek word. Uh, the Greek language actually has multiple words to describe what a person knows. So there's different words that Paul could have pulled from to describe, like, what's between Sean Power's ears right now. But he uses the same word here. Paul, I think, is trying to make a direct comparison. There are two types of knowledge. At least that's what he's pointing out right here. A knowledge that comes from knowing the love of Christ and a knowledge that comes from knowing the world. It could be other philosophical ways of thinking, faith traditions, or worldviews. Knowing the love of Christ surpasses or goes beyond all other knowledge. You know what this means, right? You possess the most incredible knowledge that has ever been provided in this world. <laughs> Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3, and God's desire for you, is to see this truth. Like, Consider all the technological developments, especially in our generation. Like, when I was born, there was no internet. It wasn't around for me. Look at now. You all know. Massive technological developments. Consider all the discoveries from science. Here's one example of technology and science kind of coming together and something amazing happening. Taking a lot of 
personal intellect and knowledge to do this. On July 20th, 1969, United States astronauts landed on the moon. For that to happen, a bunch of people possessing a ton of knowledge had to come together. Yet, all that knowledge from all those people does not compare to the knowledge that you have because of the love of Christ. Consider the great philosophers, Aristotle, Plato, Socrates. These philosophers set the trajectory of Western thought. We still benefit from their insights today. Yet their combined knowledge is a mere shadow compared to the knowledge that you have because of the love of Christ. The love of Christ, and that knowledge surpasses all other knowledge. If you have that, that is remarkable. That is amazing. It's also humbling. How vast is this knowledge from God? Look at verse 18. Knowing the love of Christ strengthens you in your most desperate hour. Knowing the love of Christ gives you power when you're on top of the mountain. How? Because of its breadth, length, height, and depth. The concept that God, that you can't escape God's love reminds me of this passage from Psalm 139. Just listen to these words. The psalmist says, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I go from your spirit, God? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there, the psalmist says. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. It's a great picture of the breadth, length, height, and depth of God's love for you. You can't flee. Actually, run right into his arms once again. If you are in that place this morning where you're like, oh, Lord, I am experiencing spiritual apathy, you go to him and rediscover once again his great love for you. The love that is now dwelling within you. So, if there are two points for you to take away from the sermon, it's these. Number one, if you are in Christ, you cannot escape God's love. Gotcha to me. Number two, God's love knows no end. It knows no end. There's always more of his love for you to abide in. Now, now that you know who you are, go do. Abide in him. Realize when you read the scriptures, he is with you. The love of Christ is in you. When you pray, the love of Christ is in you. When you when we gather together as we're doing right now, the love of Christ is in us. Don't forget that. 